0: Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things both in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the supplications of your people, and in our time grant us your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You know, between Epiphany and Lent, we are looking at the beginning of the good news. I thought, I just want to begin the new year preaching good news. And so that's what we're doing. We're looking at the beginning of the good news. And we're doing so by looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Now, in our Bibles, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of the four Gospels has its own unique way of introducing Jesus as a public figure. They have their own way of initiating, inaugurating Jesus' public ministry. Uh, With the four Gospels, we have four distinct voices with four distinct theological agendas. Uh, Matthew introduces Jesus' public ministry with Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. So that Jesus is presented as the new Moses, who has gone up on a new mountain, to issue a new Torah. And the message is that the time has come for a renewed Israel. Luke introduces Jesus by having Jesus preach in the, in the uh, synagogue in Nazareth. And he's announcing the Jubilee. The year of God's favor. He takes it from Isaiah 61, but then Jesus edits that part about the day of vengeance. And then he goes on and preaches about how God is going to have favor and mercy upon all. So in Luke's gospel, Jesus' first public action is to announce God's gracious jubilee and that it's for the whole world. It's for everyone. The time has come for that. John introduces Jesus in his public ministry Uh, Turning the water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. And the message is that the time at last has come for the great feast of God, and Jesus is the one who brings it. But we're in the Gospel of Mark at this time. And so Mark begins with Jesus in Capernaum, preaching in the synagogue and casting out a demon in the synagogue. And the message is that it's time for Satan's kingdom to be overthrown. By the way, they're all right. You know, we're not we're not we're not competing one against another. I mean, Matthew says it's time for a renewed Israel. Amen. Luke says it's time for God's jubilee. Amen. John says it's time for the great feast of God. Amen. And Mark says it's time for Satan's kingdom to be overthrown. Amen. So Mark, more than any other gospel writer, pays more attention to Jesus casting out demons. That is a prominent theme in Mark's gospel. So that, in fact, much of Mark's gospel is set as an ongoing confrontation with the kingdom of Satan. Now, in the first chapter of Mark's gospel... In the synagogue of Capernaum, Capernaum, we begin to see how the Son of God goes forth to war. That's going to be what I'm going to preach on today. The Son of God goes forth to war. Now before we look at Jesus' confrontation with the powers of darkness in Capernaum, I want to first look at an ancient prophecy. It comes from the second of Isaiah's servant songs. These are poems, prophetic poems, centuries before Christ that prophesy the mission of Yahweh's servant. At the end of the second servant song, we find this, Isaiah 49, beginning in verse 24. Can prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. All right, so Isaiah first asks a rhetorical question to which we are going to respond in the negative. The question is, can prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? We go, no, because, you know, they're captives. They're imprisoned, prison, and the one that holds them is mighty, a tyrant. And so, no, there, there's no hope. They cannot be rescued. Yeah, but because the spirit of Yahweh is upon the servant, in fact, they will indeed be rescued. The next verse says, But thus says the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. In other words, Isaiah's prophecy says that when the servant, the Son of God, goes forth to war, he will rescue those held captive by mighty and cruel tyrants. Later, once Jesus' ministry has begun, he'll say this. If I cast out demons by the finger of God... Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his castle, his property is safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his plunder. So, one way of understanding Jesus' ministry is that we human beings, human race, we are held captive in the castle of Satan. And I gather that's an unpleasant situation to be in. Imagine yourself, a captive, a prisoner, in a dungeon, in the castle of Satan. But Jesus is the one who is stronger than the strong man. Satan's the strong man, but there is a stronger than the strong man. And that's the son of God. And he storms the castle, overpowers Satan, and carries us off as the spoils of his victory. Come on, I'm preaching good news, right? That's that's good news. We like that. Now, now we're ready. Now we're ready to once again hear the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. All right, and so we go to Capernaum, a lovely fishing village on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's the Sabbath, and Jesus goes to the Sabbath because that's how Jesus was, a religious man. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath like we go to the church on Sunday. So Jesus is there in the synagogue, in Capernaum. You know, it's one of my favorite places in the world. We have the ruins of that synagogue in Capernaum. It's one of my favorite places. I got a picture of me there. Perry took this picture uh, last March, just last March. Remember we were there? We were there all by ourselves. It was before our, our, our pilgrims arrived. And I'm, can you tell how happy I am there? Look at him. I'm just just as content as I can be. I love that place. We were able to just spend as much time as we wanted there. There weren't many people around. So anyway, that's that's the the synagogue in Capernaum. That's where this takes place. And Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. What was he preaching on? Everybody knows. Does everybody know what he was preaching on? What was he preaching on? Jesus is up there and, you know... He, only, he says, I'm, I'm, this is, this is you know, part seven of my 500-part series, The Kingdom of God. <laughs> that's all Jesus preaches on, is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is in the, in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, in Capernaum, preaching and announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. And he's doing so with authority, we're told. With authority. Not as, does that mean Jesus was pounding the pulpit? No, that's not what it means. He was teaching as one with authority, not as the scribes. The scribes are scripture scholars. How do they teach? Well, they teach as they can. They teach, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And they elaborate upon the law, especially upon the Torah. Jesus gets up there and just says things like, I say... I'm announcing, I'm telling you, I'm proclaiming, and he is doing so on his own authority. That's pretty radical. He's teaching as if he is one who has authority. And people might, they might be suspicious of this, but then something happens. There happened to be in the synagogue a man with what we are told had an unclean spirit. There was a spirit that wasn't right. Uh, I would say that this man was so damaged by some kind of distorted spirit that it had usurped the center of his personality. Uh, We could say of this man in the synagogue with the unclean spirit, the unclean spirit, this spirit of, of, of perversity or twisting or distortion has usurped the center of the man's personality. So that we would say, he's not himself. He's not himself. Maybe you've said that of someone. Maybe you've said that of yourself. That's, I don't know why I'm being that way. This is not who I am. Um, when I began to go through my water to wine journey 17 years ago, I came across a little quip from Soren Kierkegaard that was deeply helpful. Someone even gave me a little plaque, and it still is in my study. And it says, Now by the help of God I shall become myself. And you know what? That is a true aspect of salvation. I mean, remember, what Jesus wants to save is you. Not your afterlife reservation, you. You. If you are saved, salvaged, restored, rescued, everything else will be all right. Uh, You can lose yourself. You can can end up distorted. You can have have dark things usurp the center of your personality, and you become someone who you were never meant to be. How many of you can relate to that, understand it? That's, That's a real danger. And when we're in that kind of place, what we need is to be saved. We need to be rescued. We need to, by the help of God, become who we really are. So I was constantly confessing during that time, now by the help of God I shall become myself. Well, here is this man, damaged by a distorted spirit that's usurped the center of his personality. And what's interesting, presumably, I'm making an assumption here, but I think I'm safe in my assumption. Presumably, this man has sat through many a Sabbath synagogue service, undisturbed, or that spirit undisturbed. I mean, the scribes could go on and on and on in their Torah exegesis, and it didn't seem to bother this man or this spirit. But now we've got a, we've got a guest speaker. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. And he is preaching on the kingdom of God. I'll tell you something about how the Satan thinks of the world. The Satan thinks of the world as its kingdom, the ruler of the world. That the world is the domain, the castle, if you will, of the Satan. But now there is one who is announcing, "Oh." There's a new kingdom, and it's coming from heaven, and it's not messing around. It's come to take over, and suddenly the spirit, the distorted spirit, the unclean spirit in the man is suddenly not slumbering through church anymore, and is very disturbed, and says, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. What have you got to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The concept is if you can name, you can put the name on someone, you can control them, but the spirit's going to find out that's harder than he thought. He it I'm going call it give it a gender. it. The spirit found out that just naming Jesus wasn't going to be able uh, to allow it to control Jesus. I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. Jesus says, "Shut up. Be quiet. Come out of Him. By the way, that question, um, the Spirit asked, have you come to destroy us? Jesus could look at His mission statement. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, yes, yes. That's right there on the mission statement. For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest that He might destroy the works of the devil. I love that verse. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose does the Son of God go forth to war, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Have you come to destroy us? Yes. Be quiet and come out of him. And the spirit obeyed, and the man was set free, and the people We're amazed. Because they'd already noticed he's he's teaching as if he himself has authority. And then there's this disruption and this, this conflict. And Jesus prevails with his word. And they're going, whoa, yeah, what is this? This is a new teaching with authority. He even commands the spirits and they obey him. And his fame began to spread from that moment on naturally i mean think about it if there's someone out there that can set us free from the things that try to ruin our souls if there's someone out there who has authority to liberate us from that which would keep us captive in destructive ways well the the fame is going to spread that's what happens And you know what that is? That's good news. That there's someone out there that can set us free. We don't have to stay enslaved in the dungeon. We don't have to be a distorted self. There's someone that can set us free. Now, because Jesus is the one who comes to rescue those that are held captive from the devil, because it's Jesus that does this, I refuse to believe that anyone is all bad, pure evil, or beyond redemption. Now, I admit there are some that challenge that belief from time to time. But I stick to it. I hold to it. I cling to it. Nevertheless, because Jesus is the one that came to set us free, I believe that there is no one who is all bad, pure evil, or beyond redemption. Now, when the Son of God goes forth to war, He goes to war on behalf of the beleaguered children of God. You know, we're the children of God. We're the sons and daughters of God, but something's gone wrong, and and, uh, dark, malevolent forces have, in varying ways to varying degrees, taken control at times of our lives. But we're not... We're not abandoned. God in Christ becomes Emmanuel. God with, he joins us. He joins our human race to come fight the fight that we are incapable of prevailing in. I wasn't going to tell this story. It just came to me. It's always risky to do that. When you're not prepared... I was, I was, guess a kid. I was a fighter. I got in lots of fights, lots of fights. I don't know why. <laughs> Probably because I was mouthy. But uh, I got in lots of fights. That was not a foreign concept to me. And I remember getting in a fight one time with a kid. I didn't know him. Kid from St. Joe, and I don't know it was. And I thought, I don't think I'm going to win this one. <laughs> but I'm going to put up. I'm going to give it my best effort anyway and we went to and it was it was one of those you know it was a it was bloody and it was fists and split lips and all that sort of thing and just about the moment i thought i was not going to and i wasn't going to prevail uh a friend showed up and uh the battle the, the tide the tide turned in the battle and i was never so glad to see somebody and I didn't even know that kid liked me, you know. But he was just like, you know, no, he's from Savannah. He's one of us. And so he came to my rescue. I don't know. That's a good story. I, I just, it just came to my mind. Well, it's sort of like that with Jesus. Jesus says, no, those are my people. Those are the children of God. And I'm their older brother. I'm the firstborn. And I'm coming to their rescue. And Jesus says, you're not going to have your way with them. I've come to set them free. And so when the son of God goes forth to war, he goes forth to war on behalf of the beleaguered children of God, and Jesus destroys the works of the devil, but heals those who are held captive by the devil. And by the devil, I mean something like the psychic spiritual phenomenon of spiritual wickedness that gets access into our lives. Thus, when the Son of God goes forth to war, He visits no harm upon human beings. I don't know if you heard that one. When the Son of God goes forth to war, He visits no harm upon human beings. The book of Exodus says that God is a man of war. All right? And we see that manifest in Jesus the Son of God who goes forth to war in the name of the Lord. But when the Son of God goes forth to war, He visits no harm upon human beings. In His ministry, Jesus constantly challenged and overthrew the works of the devil, but in the process, He never harmed or killed anyone. Jesus never harmed another person. And don't give me that business about, Jesus used the whip and He beat people in the temple. Oh, no He didn't. No, that didn't happen. You've been misled. Only John mentions the whip and only John mentions the cattle and a careful reading of the actual text says that Jesus makes a whip and he uses it to drive out both the sheep and the cattle. Jesus used the whip to drive livestock out of the temple. Jesus didn't use it to beat anyone. So quit thinking that Jesus is some sort of divine Rambo. He's not. The Son of God does not wage war upon evil through the ways and means of evil. Because if we wage war upon evil with the ways and means of evil, guess what wins? Evil. Somebody says, well, what about, what about, what about? What about the book of Revelation? Isn't that where Jesus finally resorts to violence to conquer evil? I'm glad you brought that up. No, it's not. No, Revelation sets forth in creative symbols the apocalyptic and eschatological triumph of Christ, and it's a subversive book. And in Revelation, the symbols of violence are are subversively reappropriated to reveal a non-violent Messiah. A nonviolent warrior. Let's just look at it. Uh, Revelation chapter nineteen is where this occurs. Revelation nineteen eleven. This this indeed is the Son of God goes forth to war. Verse eleven. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. I just I just finished reading Lord of the Rings for the third time, and all of a sudden I see Gandalf. You know. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Shadowfax. Its writer is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. He has a name inscribed that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven... Wearing fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. All right? The Son of God goes forth to war. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. He's wearing, he's he's on a white horse because he's the conqueror. And he's wearing a robe dipped in blood. Before the battle, blood has been shed. Whose blood has been shed? His blood. His blood has been shed. And he wears a robe dipped in blood, and he has a sword. He's on a a horse, and he has a sword, and it's in his mouth. There's always some dude on a horse with a sword in his hand. We've seen those statues around the world. This is different. This is subverting that. He's on a horse, and he has a sword, but it's not a sword that you... Hold in your hand, it's a sword that's in his mouth. His name is called the Word of God. In other words, the Son of God wages war by his word. And yes, he brings forth the wrath of God upon evil, but not upon people. You say, well, what about those that were slain by the sword that proceeds from his mouth? I say, I'm one of them. I have been slain by the word of Christ, and he's raised me to newness of life. And he says, get on your horse, BZ, and follow me. So I get on my horse and I say, I don't don't have a sword. He said, you don't need one. I got one and it's in my mouth. That's how I wage war. Some of you, some of you attentive listeners... May have known that I have taken the title of my sermon from a hymn. The Son of God Goes Forth to Wars, written in 1812 by Reginald Heber. Fascinating man. He was the son of a country priest in England. He later became the Bishop of Calcutta, a good man. He's probably best known for the hymn Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning our song shall rise to the holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. How many of you know that one? Okay, that's Reginald. Bishop and hymn writer. And one of his hymns is the Son of God Goes Forth to War." Maybe you might know that from the movie The Man Who Would Be King. You know, Peachy Carnahan and Daniel Drevitt. And Daniel Drevitt's always singing the Son of God Goes Forth to Work. Maybe you didn't know that. It's a great film. I recommend it. Yeah, it's it's actually a Rudyard Kipling Kipling short story that was turned into a movie that's fantastic, starring Michael Caine and Sean Connery. Huh. proud of myself that I was able to do that. (laughs) The first verse of The Son of God Goes Forth to War goes like this. The Son of God goes forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. His blood-red banner streams afar, who follows in his train. Who best can drink his cup of woe, triumphant over pain, who patient bears his cross below, he follows in his train. All right, so I'll show you how the, how the hymn works. It's taken from Revelation 19, which is also taken from, originally from Zechariah 14. Uh, the Son of God goes forth to war, king of the county There's a subtle, in fact, all the verses have subtle references in, this, in the whole hymn. And there's a subtle reference to James and John here. Uh, who follows in his train is the question. All right, Son of God's going forward to war. Who can go with him? Who goes with him? Who can go with him? And, and then this follows up. Well, who best can drink the cup of woe? Remember, as Jesus is marching to Jerusalem for the final conflict with the powers of darkness, James and John come and say, hey, when you enter into your glory, we want to be on your right and your left. And Jesus said, well, you're able to drink the cup. Because to do that, you're going to have to drink the cup, a cup of woe, sorrow, suffering. Oh, yeah, we're able. We can do it. Jesus well, you may indeed drink of that cup. But to be on my right and my left is not for me to decide. It's for whom it is appointed by my Father. And as Jesus comes into his glory, his coronation, who is on his right and on his left? Those that are crucified with him. That's why Jesus says to James and 9, you don't know what you're asking. You 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 think you're just asking for positions of prominence in my administration. You're actually asking to be crucified with me. Who best can drink his cup of woe, triumphant over pain. Who patient bears his cross, not his sword, his cross below. He follows in his train. I won't read you all the verses, but the second verse talks about Stephen. It doesn't mention Stephen, but it's clear that's who it is, the first martyr. The third verse is about the apostles, which tradition says all were martyrs except John. And then the fourth verse is about the martyrs themselves mentioned in the book of Revelation wearing their white robes. So it's a song not about waging war in the conventional way we think of it, but through co-suffering love and being willing to lay down our lives. Because the kingdom of God is without violence, we persuade by love, witness, word, spirit, reason, rhetoric, if need be martyrdom, but never by violence. And thus the Apostle Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness. Therefore, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not guns and tanks and bombs. They are divinely powerful. They're powerful in God. To pull down spiritual strongholds. But now I want to return to the good news that Jesus is the one who sets us free. Sets us free from those things that would take over our lives and ruin our souls. You know, I think it's fair enough to say that in one way or another, all of us struggle with our demons. There is a darkness that often creeps towards us and would like. It, it varies from person to person what it might be. But we face those struggles. There is a, a darkness that would, that would usurp our personality and make us who we were never intended to be. But the good news, and I'm preaching good news, the good news is that Jesus is our liberator sent from heaven to attack our captors. And set us free. For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil in your life. Where the devil has captured you. Carried you off. Imprisoned you in his castle. Jesus is the one who comes. And overpowers the forces of darkness. And he comes to liberate you. And You say, "Well, what, what do I need to do? I think you just need to say, "Jesus saved me. Just look to Jesus, call upon him. In fact, why don't you just stand with me right now? Let's just pray a little bit. Oh Jesus, you're the Son of God. You're the Son of God. O oh, Son of God, go forth and wage war with all that wages war upon our soul. Oh Son of God. Come forth to us and where we've been held captive by things that would distort us and destroy us and ruin us. Come and liberate us. Come and set us free. Come and set us free from that thing which in ourselves we don't have power to get ourselves free from. Come, Jesus, as a mighty warrior, as a liberator, as one sent to rescue us. Jesus, I thank you that you are heaven's rescue operation, sent to liberate the hostages, yes, amen. to rescue us, to set us free. Hallelujah! If you're here today and you need Jesus to set you, if you just want, just kind of just lift, lift your hand toward him, and get, get his attention. Say, Jesus, I'm being held hostage here. Something has a hold of me that. That isn't me. Something has a hold of me. It's captured me. That would ruin me. Jesus, I feel like I'm a hostage and I can't get free. My captors are tyrants. They're powerful. Just raise your hand and say, Jesus set me free. Jesus set me free. And Jesus says, yes, that's what I've come to do. And Jesus comes and he speaks to that. And he says, shh, be quiet. Because, you know, those things always have voices that go in your head. And they'll tell you how bad you are and you can't be free and how corrupt you are and there's no hope for you. And, and Jesus will speak to that voice because it's not you. It's not you. And Jesus said, Be quiet. Come out of him, come out of her, set them free. And you know, you can imagine the joy of hostages that are suddenly liberated, hostages that thought they had no hope, and completely unexpected someone comes and liberates them. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's confess our faith. And then come and come to the table and really it is the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus that breaks all of those chains of bondage and sets us free. Confess with me, I believe in God He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's confess our need of forgiveness and receive it from the Lord. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, Ask for His mercy. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love Him and for those who want to love Him more. So come, you who have much faith, and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.